You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Well, good evening. This is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast. Uh, If this is the first time that you are listening, uh, we are two friends who love to get together and discuss the Bible and theology and God and Jesus and talk about life. And uh, we usually go through the scriptures and just have fun and engage and explore the Word of God. And we are currently going through the book of Jonah, and uh, we have been enjoying uh, our discussions. And before we get started, I just want to say hello to my friend, Reverend Bishop. How are you doing, brother? I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. We had a, it's actually evening time here, and and it's a Friday night, and we're we're gonna have some fun talking about Jonah and the Lord's work in his life, and and uh, we're very appreciative for our listeners out there, and thank you for tuning in and for downloading, and um, we just appreciate you. So, uh, the last time we talked was a couple months ago, I think, on on Jonah. We have we gotta get the guy out of the fish because he's. He's he's probably you know wondering when he's gonna come up and the fact that he's been there so long is rather fishy. <laughs> it's really fishy. <laughs> well, we do like to take our time. Some of us like to take our time more than others, but anyway. So we are in Jonah chapter two, and I'm gonna read it to you. We did cover chapter two last uh, podcast. We talked about uh, the point uh, it took for Jonah to actually pray. And uh, now we're going to actually dig into that prayer more in depth. And so I'm going to start reading actually in chapter 1, verse 17, and I'll read the entire chapter, and then we'll, we'll talk about it and see what happens. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple." Water encompassed me to the point of death. The the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, and the earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me up, uh, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And that's the end of chapter 2. Wow, what a journey so far for Jonah, who has, of course, started his his uh, his journey with running away from the command of God to go to Nineveh to preach 
uh, a simple message of repentance, and Jonah decides to take a ship going the opposite direction, somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean, perhaps going to as far as Spain. We don't know, but he does not want to go and tell the people of Nineveh this message of repentance. And of course, if you've tuned in from other uh, podcasts, you see the journey he's gone through. And now you get to the point where Jonah is thrown overboard and God appoints a fish to swallow him. And the scene sort of stops or sort of changes direction, sort of changes the tone uh, with the genre of literature and with just the, you have this prayer. Jonah is now finally praying to God. And of course, we talked about the point it takes for uh, God has to take some people in order for them to pray. But now let's talk about this prayer. Let's look at and uh, maybe talk about what Jonah's like, what's going on with Jonah. I mean, he's he's in the ocean, he's in the sea, and there's a fish, and what's going on here? So let's talk about him. When, when I look at um, this chapter, John, this chapter is frankly surprising. And I think sometimes we can have an overall concept of a story yeah um and we can so have that overall concept of a story that we frankly uh, forego the details right of that story and uh, sometimes that's not necessarily due to our fault sometimes it is a sunday school flannel graph right you remember those yeah and just to interject or go on i'm sorry i don't mean to interject too much too early but there's something I want to say, but no, no. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, sometimes we can have that kind of Sunday school flannel graph, or, yes, or imposition placed up on as a cloak. Yes, uh, our thinking concerning a particular Bible story, and in so doing, we have a generality right. of the story, but we really don't have the particulars of the story. I, I'd like to look at this prayer, taking it apart, and then putting it back together. And, and I would say it's going to give us a little bit different perspective of Jonah because sometimes in right. our thinking, we have this idea that chapter two was really the turning point for Jonah. But I'm going to actually suggest and argue that in fact, what really sticks out in this sec- section of scripture yeah. is the mercy of God Yes, because we're going to see what appears to be at first survey a repentance is don't not... give it up. The, don't give it away too soon, brother. Don't yeah, give it away. Well, let, let me just say something, and this bad. this goes into. Oftentimes, when you're reading the scriptures, there are those those Bible stories or Bible verses that are so familiar that you don't even read it, right? And you miss the message, perhaps because you're so familiar with it that you miss the actual message of it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to slow down and and take a look at actually what are the parts going because there are things going on in this prayer. There are some good things in this prayer. Let's not let's let's Absolutely. give them some credit. There's some good things in this prayer. There are some things that in this prayer that sort of explain something else in in chapter four with another prayer, or explain how perhaps the story ends because the story ends really sort of on a what will Jonah do kind of thing? How will Jonah turn out? But when you're reading scripture, it's important to to not rush through. It's important to take a look and say, now let's carefully look at this. Now, this this prayer is is written as a psalm. Let's say you know it's a, it's it's written and structured as a, as a psalm. Well, okay, you're not maybe going to see that, but what you're going to see is that there are certain things that are part of 
uh, a Thanksgiving psalm, let's say, for example, they're supposed to be there, <laughs> they're, that aren't. Or certain things of his prayer that sound good, but then it's like, whoa, it, is, he, is his heart really changed, you know? So let's let's uh, let's go through that. Yeah, let's let's first of all argue for the structure because you made an interesting statement that it is in the form of the Hebrew poetic book, uh, the uh, Psalms, right? Um, and it, particularly by way of genre or style, it takes on two, right? It takes on the form of a Thanksgiving. Uh, right. Psalm, but it also takes on uh, the aspect of a cry for help or a lament or right. a psalm of repentance, but it's going to lack some elements, yeah, some critical yeah. elements uh, that should really be present uh, in that psalm. What makes a psalm a psalm, right? Because sometimes Music. In, the, in the modern church, <laughs> right, that's the yeah. thought that this is a song, yeah. as it were. And what we're really referring to is Hebrew poetry. Yeah. And it has certain aspects of its writing that are poetic in structure and in nature. The book of Psalms is the largest book of the entire Bible. Right. Right. Um, uh, it was really the prayer book of Yisrael. And it had several facets or styles right. of prayer that could, in fact, be put to music. And many times, if not most times, it was put to music. And it was employed for both prayer congregationally. Yeah. And it was employed for personal prayer during sacred celebratory moments or right. during certain circumstances within life. Uh, this kind of literature actually later on in the period of Martin Luther became a uh, very important literature for the monks in the monasteries and they would take in no less than seven psalms a day yeah. and in fact during the Puritan period um, in order to receive your ordination Right, you yeah. had to have the entire Psalms memorized. Yeah, watch out, seminary guys. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> so it was very popular literature, and still, if you are struggling today, um, the Psalms are the Psalms are great, terribly encouraging, and uh, or if and... you if you don't know what to pray, let's say you're stuck in knowing what words to say. You can pray the Psalms. Absolutely. Because it's scripture. If and you're visiting a hospital, right? Visiting a uh, hospital. One of the favorite Psalms is Psalm 103 or Psalm 23. Right. Or if you're going through difficult times where it seems like the wicked uh, is is uh, experiencing supremacy yeah. over you, Psalm 73 or Psalm 37. I, I just was talking to somebody about praying a, a particular Psalm as a, a time of worship of, of Psalm 139. You know, mm, yes. uh, you know, I uh, how, how just just the uh, that using that as a t as a prayer, praying the psalm back to God, so to speak, and and elaborating on that on that psalm as a prayer, and that can enrich your prayer life. You know, I think in this in this account here in in, in Jonah chapter two, Jonah's familiar with the psalms because some of the phrases and sentences that he uses here as part of his prayer come from the psalms. Absolutely. So he was well familiar with. With those psalms, I think actually, from my understanding, is he doesn't pray just once in this chapter. He prays twice, actually. His prayer, his first prayer, is when he gets thrown in, which which tells you that up to this time, this is the first time. It's in fact, it says in verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, right? And that's the first time that that technical word for prayer is used. It, there's other words they're using for for crying out, you know, in chapter one. But this is the first time he's praying, which has to tell you something. Well. 
what happened before? Why wasn't he praying before him? Well, now finally God's going to get his attention, and now he's finally going to be praying. So it says that he he cried out of his distress to the Lord. I think that's his first prayer. And then what comes after that is the Psalm of Thanksgiving, which, of course, you have to ask the question. He's giving this Thanksgiving to the Lord, but he's still in the water, and he's still in the fish. Or or a different option could be that that particular verse, verse 2, is the summation, Summary, yeah. if you will, and then the rest of the verses are the extrapolation or the teasing out so, of the content of that. So prayer. here's the question, is he, is, he, is he saying the psalm as he's in the midst of this? Because that's the, because some scholars will say, well, he must have wrote this, you know, this was inserted afterwards and it doesn't belong here. But if you think about it, if, if he has this, he's, he's quick to... It's like, you know, sometimes when you go through something, your mind becomes really alert. Like if it's an emergency situa- situation, you know, where things are happening, it's like life or death. All of a sudden you become, you know, really quickened yes. and, and alert. It's almost as if things are just coming to his mind. And he, but, what, but what, what interests me here is the fact that he, he has this, this sort of Thanksgiving giving song to the Lord, but he's still on the fish. Y- yes, he does. I, I think... It begs the question, first of all, um, just a, just on a scholarly note, I think that I want to be careful with um, um, the tendency to argue redactionalism or editing. Yeah. That is, this idea that this man could not have been so immersed in prayer, even under urgent circumstances, that he could not have prayed a, a, a prayer that was well-informed, yeah. both biblically and had a similitude or a similarity or a tendency to mirror the Psalms. Yeah. I, I think what we see is, in fact, when we look at uh, some of the Jewish captives in Auschwitz, right. um, even though they are under great duress, they seem to keep their Shabbat prayers, right. and they know that they could die at any moment. And I think that this is the tendency that you see of of the Israeli nation throughout their history. So I'm willing to grant him an intelligent, well-informed, well-structured prayer under duress. I think that it does have that initial, I cried in desperation. So, but let's remember this. The man has three days and three nights to think about. Right. So so let's talk about, because we've sort of hinted and alluded to that, the fact the psalm, there's some good parts to the psalm. This, and Absolutely. then there's some... You know, he says, "I cried out. To, um, I cried out of my distress to the Lord, and He answered me." And that's a summary statement, of course, of the whole thing. But the fact that he has enough sense to cry out to the Lord in his distress, even though it took his distress for him to cry out to the Lord, the fact that he's actually crying out and praying to God, like, like screaming out, "Please help!" You know, how, how much you can scream while you're going down the water. He has enough sense to cry out to the Lord, even though. You know he's in the middle of the ocean or the sea wherever because of his own actions because of his rebellion, but he still turns to God, which tells you something. Because there's sometimes you think, well, God's going to reach. God will never resist a, a cry for help. You know, if you, you know, if you are you are you've rebelled, but you get to the point where you are so far gone out of God's will, but you get to the point where you cry out to God, He hears that cry, and we'll see that in this psalm is that, or in this chapter. Uh, is that he gets so far away from God, I mean, polar opposite from 
from you know, the temple in Jerusalem to the, the depths of Sheol, and yet God still hears them there. So that tells me as far as those who maybe have wandered from God, who are so far away, they think they're too far that God can't hear them. Here, Jonah cries out, and God does hear him. I do want to appreciate God's kindness in hearing him, because I'd like to for a moment compare him to the first king of Israel, yes. um, who wasn't heard by God, and who went to the witch of Endor. Yeah. Um, Saul, and, yeah. and so I do want to argue that it is possible for God to to not answer. It is. It is. And and I don't think that an individual I, wants to so reject the constancy of the so, voice of God that he moves God to that place where God no longer responds to. So him I, her. but I think with the the case with Saul though, you have you have a, a pattern of of disobedience rebellion. rebellion yes in Saul's life it's and you have this pattern of he knows you know the right and the wrong you know he knows what he should have done i'm talking about as somebody who's who's wandered who's been rebellious who were, it, it's not like this you know king Saul knew better Absolutely. you know king Saul you know and out of desperation to to sort of because he wanted to be about himself everything was about you know, making sure he looks good, and and of course he had to. Uh, it was about him. I think you know. I what I don't want to do is give people you know, not give them hope to say God will answer a, a, a true, genuine, heartfelt cry. I think Saul, in the case of Saul, I don't know if his if he ever had that heart. If, he, if this heart was ever the Lord's. The point is, you cry out to God and see what happens. Basically, you know. Here's I'm looking at Jonah as an illustration. Yes, the guy can hear you cry, no matter how far you've gone. There are there are maybe people that take advantage and they know better, and but here I'm I'm looking at at God hearing the cry of of the one who's so far from God, and wondering if God even hears them. That God does hear that cry, and it's a if it's a heartfelt, genuine cry, and even if it's an imperfect cry, and those He hears that. So he says, I cried out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried help from the depth of Sheol. So now he tells you where he's at. What's yes. Sheol? Let's, what's Sheol? For, let's... Well, before we begin with Sheol, let me just mention a few things that really do stand out to me in this poetic text. First of all, what you're going to see if you are reading this um, is a, a series of parallelistic um, structures, right? Because so, it's a it's a psalm, right? So you're going to see one line, and it's going to say one thing, and then the second line will progress that, right? If not repeat that, so as to in, in uh, so as to intensify that, right? So we'll see a lot of that. Also, we'll see a chiastic structure. We'll actually, actually see, see two. two. Of them. There's two of yeah. them. Yeah, and we'll see that the middle points of those structures really become the main points of those chiastic structures. So let's just structures. pause for, for those who are listening. A, a chiastic structure, if you just imagine the letter X... Looks um, like one side of that X. It looks like one side. So it's it's like a staircase going from top to bottom. To, it's like in the middle is where the hinge is, let's say. Let's call it, so it looks like a V like that a you v. would turn sideward. Right. So b- basically, you would int- the, there's, uh, the points all lead to the center point of that 
chiasm. So the center point is really the main point the author's trying to make, and there's two of them in this chapter. So Absolutely. Or, or to restate it, if you were at the top of the point of that V, the top of the point would give you a theme or an idea. Yeah. And the very lower point of that V would repeat that same theme or idea. Right. And as you're working in toward the center, the points would agree with one another, and then that center point, that central okay. point let's, would be the main let's, point. It's a sandwich, okay? <laughs> two we'll pieces of bread, <laughs> you know, a couple pieces of something else, and then your center, whatever it is you like to have in the middle. It's a sandwich, okay? And, and in the middle thing, the the meat part in the middle is what you're looking for, you know? Yes. And so okay. while you're considering that then, consider that while we are preparing to go over the details, the first center point of of thinking here is really important because that's that, that main point uh, is in verse 4. Verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. So the expelling from the sight of God is important for him. Now that becomes the central point of the first chiastic structure, but the second one is... I have, yeah, I have never, I have the, I will look to your temple again. I mean, it's the same verse, basically. Yeah, yes. That's it, what I have. Yes, we, we'll probably refer to that as, as 4C, but 4A and B would really be where you have that concept of the center of that chiastic structure. And then the next would be lower, my petition had reached you. Where uh, are you looking at? Uh, so, so I am now looking down when he gets to... Um, see, see, I have I have two... My, my chiastic structure is... Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy, te- holy temple, verse 4, and then verse, the last part of 6, uh, or verse 7, rather. Uh, I w- while and I was my fainting, prayer came to While you. I was fainting away, I, remember, I remembered the Lord. Okay. I, I, I have here, and my prayer came what to you. What commentaries are you reading, dude? No, I'm not. I'm looking <laughs> at kidding. the <laughs> I'm looking at the, at okay, the text. Okay, this is all getting all technical, so let's just, like, we have listeners who are who are not following with commentaries. Let's, We're a couple let's, of technical guys. Yeah, so. okay. The, the, here's the thing about, about, about it is that, is that the scripture is very well laid out. It's also put together yes. intentionally, and the author has, you know, um, you can get points out of every, every single verse, but what we're looking at here is, is one is that he emphasizes in verse four. Nevertheless, I look again toward your holy temple. In other words, as he's going down, he he um, he's looking towards God's temple, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. and in verse seven, he says, "While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord." Now, there's those are what's interesting. There is we'll look at is that there's an oddity of that, especially that last one, is that it doesn't fit what you expect in a in a repented uh, person. In other words, for for example, in 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 Genesis six through nine, you have a flood account, right? And there's and it's laid out also a chiastic structure. And the middle of that chiasm is then the Lord remembered. The Lord remembered. It was always the emphasis on the Lord remembered. Here it's Jonah remembered. Now that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, yes. so that's a so it's just an interesting thing. We'll we'll talk about it. But anyway, let's now we're now we're already in verse four. Let's go back to our verse two or verse three. So he says, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Now Sheol is the Hebrew term, right? Whose whose 
equivalent is the Greek term Hades. Hades, yeah. And Sheol was considered in the ancient Near East Hebraic mind to be the netherworld or the world of the dead. Yeah. And the place where he is in ancient Near Eastern thinking, particularly again for the Hebrew nation, was thought that the world set up on water and up on mountains. Right. And those mountains became the pillars that supported the world. Right. And those pillars were the the pivot point or the separation point betwixt the world of the living right. and the world of the dead. Right. So what he's doing in this imagery is arguing that he has come to to the place where he is on the precipice or the cusp of the land of the dead betwixt now, those two worlds. You know, what's interesting is that in, in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, Jonah was in the stomach of the bill, of the fish three days and three nights. My understanding from 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 reading is that in uh, in the ancient or ancient uh, literature or Mesopotamian literature, to journey from the place of the living to the place of the dead took three days and three nights. Yes, that is true, so, in fact. So he's if, going from from the temple of God, let's say, to this place of Sheol that's at the bottom of the earth, let's call it, you know? Right. And he's at the very polar opposite of, of life. He's at that threshold of going to the underworld, let's say. It was not just a concept, John, in the ancient Near East, because in the framework of Scripture, there is this lane of a pattern of this three days right. and three nights right. concept. Right. And there is this depiction where within the framework of Scripture, within its historicity, there is seen this uh, concept where a three-day journey in and a three-day journey out right. takes one into the world of the dead, or at least to the cusp of it and out. A few examples of that would look something like the Abrahamic story with right. his son, right. wherein he says he goes a three-day journey and he's going to sacrifice his son, and then I and the lad will return. Right. And the depiction is they return from the place of the dead. Right. And so this pattern is not just an ancient Near Eastern pattern. It's actually a well-established right. pattern that you see without within Scripture. And it's going to be picked up in its ultimate form, if you will, Jesus. with Jesus. Right. Yeah. Which tells you something. Just a, just a side note. When Jesus allows Lazarus to be dead for four days, it tells you that, that you know, if... if that Lazarus was able to go past that threshold, and Jesus still was able to reach into that next uh, zone or or place, place of the dead, let's call it, you know, and reach and, and retrieve Lazarus there, which means it wasn't a limit on God, right? You know, the three days, you know, oh, God can't can't save this person because it's past the three days. Jesus says, no, I can I can retrieve him even if it's four days or more. He has that. He has the power. But it's important because in Scripture, this concept moot or death yeah. has this. It's concept. a moot point. <laughs> Very good pun. <laughs> it has this concept of the place that from which one cannot escape, and you see that both in uh, uh, Grecian literature and Roman literature and yeah. Greco-Romanized literature. Yeah. This 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 concept of a land that is frustrating because, uh, as with one particular ancient tale uh, of the gentleman who went into the land and and sought to retrieve his spouse, and uh, he was told uh, by one of the uh, uh, deities that if you go in, you simply may grab the arm of your 
spouse, but right. you may not look upon her. Right. Otherwise, both she and you will be trapped in that land forever. Right. And so he did, just before he left the land, look out in this fictional, uh, look at her in this fictional literature. And when he looked upon her, then upon attempting to leave, he no longer could. And he was doomed in frustration to roll a stone up yep. where if he could Constantly. get it to the top, yes. uh, he would be able to escape. But every time he got nearly to the top, it only ran back down. Yeah. And although this is not biblical lore, it certainly is literature that was um, um, within the literary context of that day and affected the thinking. So all across the board, even with the biblical authors, in, in some of their thinking, in early um, um, uh, biblical literature, death was the land from which one did not escape. So, so I, would, I just want to point something out because here so far... You have this language of death going on. You know, he's. You know, let's assume we haven't read the story right. Let's just assume that that now you're reading it for the first time. Uh, it says that that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Okay, so maybe Jonah's uh, uh, he's gone. But Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, okay, who's going to survive that? What's interesting is that starting in chapter two, he changes sort of the tone. And what I mean by this is, my understanding is, he's. He's eaten by a fish. Swallowed. He's swallowed by a fish. But in chapter 2, the word for fish is now a feminine form rather than masculine form. The masculine form is in in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, it's a female fish who's not... He's not in the belly, but he's now in the womb of the fish. There's a sense of this death-birth process. Yes. And there's this... There's this um, this play on 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 ideas of of something dying, but that's something now something new is going to come to life, and you even have this this the imagery here is both of him being uh, sort of encompassed all around as if he's in the womb, you know, about to be birthed, but at the same time you have this idea of him being wrapped with the seaweed and everything else, like he's being wrapped for burial. And what's interesting is I'm just just thinking out loud is this 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 di- something is dying something is dying but yet something else is being birthed and I don't know if if Jonah fully has that realiz- realization of of what he thinks is perhaps his doom initially you know perhaps this he's done for I mean who who gets swallowed by a fish and survives at first perhaps it looks like he's going down to the depths of Sheol and perhaps he's going down he's 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 wanted to die. He'd rather die than go and tell the Ninevites. Now God is giving him what he wants, and he comes to the very edge, and then it switches, because that fish now is not a vehicle of destruction for him. Now it's a vehicle of salvation, so to speak, you know? And there's a change there. And, I, and I'm wondering if God allows him to, to sort of get to that point where he realizes... Man, I made a pet out. You know, this if you wanted to go out and and pursue that route, Jonah, and you are wishing for that route of leading you to death, here's what it's gonna look like, you know? And then at a certain point where he then rescues Jonah through that same fish, but now the fish is not a vehicle of destruction, now it's a vehicle of salvation, sort of so to speak. And there's a there's hopefully of a change. We don't know how much Jonah will change, but there's a there's something different, you know, because now he's crying out, he's praying. And I just wonder, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, spiritually as well, uh, the process that God brings us to where he changes our heart, so to speak, you know, where 
we reconsider or we repent of certain things where you know we're allowed to go down a certain road and see how that takes us and realize it's not fruitful it's not bringing forth what we thought it would and then he changes something to bring something good out of it you know or something redemptive i'm just just no no i completely absolutely agree with you i don't think that that's conjecture i think what you see is deliverance by judgment Yes, in the, in the yes. overall passage, and and frankly, if I'm honest, as I as I look at the Hebrew text, that's why I defend my position on the the center points of the chiastic structure, because I would argue that the first chiasm um, that's in verse four, and and I read it again. As for yeah. me, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Nevertheless, I will attempt to gaze toward your holy temple. Now, if you notice, yeah. that first center is this hopelessness of banishment. Right. But then the second aspect is, my petition had reached you, it reached your holy temple. So in one facet, he says, I was hoping that you would hear me, but I feel banished. In the other, but then it reached, and I'm so shocked because you, you through judgment, seemed to have so, saved me and turned me to some degree, not okay, holistic. Okay, let me just... Let me just an application point because something is just just sort just hit me um you having this you're having this this say this really down day this happened to me recently where you know uh, um you know you get preparing for a sermon you know preparing for church you know and and you have all the the all the things to deal with and 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 there's a particular sunday where uh, just, you know, under attack spiritually, just not feeling good, you know, just kind of feeling low, right? And feeling, is God doing anything here? Is he involved in this? You know, and and there was a point where it was, it got to that low point, you know, but then something happened in, in, in my prayer. It was, it went from, are you in this Lord to the next sentence being, but Lord, you're going to bless today. You're going to be honored today. You're going to be glorified today. And that's the upper, upward climb, climb of, a, of, a, of, a, of affirming God's goodness and faithfulness. And once you know it, God blessed that day. God blessed that particular Sunday. He, he, it was this, this change from all looks hopeless and despair to, but I'm going to look to you, God, because you have been faithful and you are faithful and you've come through. And I'm going to affirm that. I can look at my circumstances and say, I am in the pits but at the same time, I'm going to affirm God's faithfulness. And once you know it, God blessed it. And God blessed that. And, and the decision, though, that my point of all this is that decision in, in, uh, of, of going from, I'm expelled from your sight on one part to, but I'm going to look to your holy temple. I'm feeling really low, but I know God's going to come through. You know, there, there's that change because at the same time, Though you and I are fluctuating and change, God's always faithful, and He never changes. And He's, you know, He's, He's, He's faithful, and affirming that, and that's the thing is, He's, I'm going to look to your, to, to toward your holy temple because it's fixed there, it's, it's set there. Your, your presence is there, and you're the only one I can look to, even though all my circumstances are are in the depths. So, like, just, just a way of application is is that decision to go from the depths on one part of the sentence, verse 4, to nevertheless, I'm going to remember you, I'm going to look to you because you're my only hope now, you know? Yes. That has to happen, I think, in, in by faith, you know? Absolutely. Not by feeling. 
Absolutely. And I think he's not just um, looking to the temple um, in a fictive fashion. I think this springs back to... That's a big word, to... fictive. Where's my dictionary? <laughs> <laughs> I think this springs back to the Solomonic prayer. Yeah. I think this is the yes. anticipation yeah. with which Solomon prayed when he said, Lord, if your people are ever under some sort of attack right. or judgment or discipline. Now, I think Solomon's prayer springs back to a realization of the Deuteronomic blessings and curses, 28 through 30. Go ahead. No, just I was just going to say, but what does it t tell you about Jonah who, who has the wherewithal to even... He's not thinking about Solomon's prayer. He's thinking about remember what God's like, you know? I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's, maybe it's, you know, all, all, he just remember, it's it's almost as if you get to the point where all you can cry is help. Jonah remembering God's faithfulness or his goodness or his presence. I don't know if all of that is going through his mind. It's just, a, it's almost as if it's a default in him to say, okay, I'm going to look to the Lord. I don't know. It's... No, I, I agree with you that it is a de default, but again, I argue that the default comes from a rich Israeli history that is rooted in the Solomonic prayer. I agree. And that is rooted in the Deuteronomic blessings and curses, realizing that I've displeased the Lord. Right. I am not under his pleasure. And what is the place where God has established his name or where is the place and what do I do? How do I look to that? Now, here's what's interesting. In his looking to, I'm not sure that he could look to the east and know where he was directionally. But what he understood was looking up in hope and that God would be able to hear him in such a way that he heard the misdirected direction yeah. of his wayward prophet and heard him to the point of answer there was an anchor that was rooted in the prayer of another man and in the scriptures, and he was able to go back to that substratum or foundation and find hope in God. In other words, he went back right. to his roots in scripture right. and back to his roots in prayer and back to his roots in a, in a Judeo so, uh, history and said, but Lord, even though I feel disconnected, I know what to connect to. Okay, so let's just let's just pause on that for a second and get practical th thinking. Where you come to the point where you realize and you admit that only God can help you. You know where you you've pushed God away, you've, you've ran from God, you've done whatever you could, could to to ignore His presence or to try to not admit him but now you're in a place where all you have possible that will listen is god you know and here's here's in this case it's jonah who has you know he has the the you know the sense to to do that but it tells you it tells you that at the end of the day god's there to 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 hear a prayer you know and to and to answer the cry and for to for for Jonah to have the the sense of of I'm going to cry out to God, even though I've sort of plugged my ears and I've ignored Him. I'm in this. I'm in in chapter one. I'm in the storm in the boat. I'm sleeping. I'm yeah. I know the storm is because of me. But I'm I'm I want to be dead. I want to be dumb. 
but now he really doesn't want to die. <laughs> now, now it's now his prayers, uh, his his desire is really to he wants to live, you know, and God allows him. But um, but going back to his roots, so to speak, you know, of of, of crying out to God. So he continues here. I cried for help. What verse are you at? I, I'm now in uh, two. I was like in four already. There you go. I'll, I'll speak to four. <laughs> no, two. Go to two. I cried for help. Yeah. From the depth of Sheol, you heard my voice. This term for voice is interesting, John, because it's not simply the sound. That's, that's not the idea. It's the sense. God hears the desperation and intensity yeah. that is not being articulated through screams or through words. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever been so desperate where you have prayed, I hate to say this, angry, like out of pain? You ever prayed like, because, you know, a lot of times you're just praying normal prayers, you know, you kind of bless, bless this, bless that. But then you get to the point where you're sort of, you're fed up with the whole thing, with with what you're going through, and you go to God and say, "This this is enough, God. This is." And you're you're in pain, and you're in agony, you're in, and you're crying out. But it's almost as if you're not to be disrespectful, but you've reached your limit, you know. And it's this, it's this, Lord. If unless you come through, it's not just that. It's like Lord, I've been knocking, I've been knocking, I've been knocking. Hello, hello I'm, I want to be heard, and and not to be rude, but to say, I I hello, I'm here, you know, and and I'm going through this thing that's that's terrible, and it's it's hurtful, and it's and it's hard, and I can't take this anymore. And you get to the point where you're just real, you know. I think sometimes we are afraid of being real with God. We feel like we have to speak kings or queens English, you know, old king old King James for him to hear us, but for your tone to get to the point where here's here's a mother. Who's uh, in the New Testament? Whose baby? Uh, who's whose whose daughter's demon possessed or something? You know, and Lord, what can you do? You know, and and you get to the point where it's not just the words that change. The words may be the same, but like you said, the tone and the heart behind it. Something. Something. It's. It's as if you are. You're so utterly at the point of God. You have to hear this. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. That that desperation of, I don't want to say being angry of ordering God, but the point of, you, you're not playing church. You're not playing prayer time. You're being. This is life and death, and I'm so desperate for you, God, to hear me. I think that might be sort of built in it. Because imagine you're in the middle of the ocean and you're going to be drowning. Are you going to pray, Oh Lord, bless me. Oh Lord, please. No, you're going to cry for help. And you're going to be real. And I think God hears that. I am terribly comforted by the fact that God hears beyond the words mm. that I can articulate. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. That he knows my thoughts afar off, even before a word or a whisper is up on my tongue. And when I... In baby gibberish, yeah, cannot say or summate that which I most long for. He knows that very need, yeah, and hears it as though I had said it in the finest 
fashion. It, it reminds me of the New Testament aspect. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Yeah. With groanings that cannot be uttered. And Do, do you remember when your kids re, were babies? I do. Okay. You remember there's there was different tones to their cry? There were some cries that they were tired cry. There were some cries that they were hungry cry. But then sometimes there's a cry tone where something's in trouble. Yes. Something's up. This is a different kind of tone of this cry, you know? And you as a parent know the, the different tonations and gradations of, of what that all means. But there's that one cry, it's like, uh-oh, something's, my baby's in trouble. And you respond you know, like Superman or Batman in your case, you know, to, <laughs> to help you. I, I wonder, like, the, the, the baby's not going to say, feed me, it's going to cry in a certain tone. Anyway, Jonah is here. He, God hears his voice. God answers his cry. And it's interesting. In verse 3, it says, you, you cast me into the deep. <laughs> I, I, I want to I pause oh, there yeah. <laughs> because I want to notice the interconnectedness. If I am between to, what it, betwixt verse two and three, if I am to hear correctly, Jonah cries out to the God whom he recognizes has cast him where he is. Yeah, that's very much unlike our habit, isn't it, John? Yeah, because if God were to cast us into something, our first inclination is to distance ourselves from Him. Right. Jonah recognizes that when God places you in a situation, it is to draw you closer to him, not further. But what's interesting is that, and he doesn't address this here, he says, I cried to the Lord for help, you cast me into the sea. But he doesn't even get to the reason why he's cast into the sea. Well, he, he, he left that out. He left it out. <laughs> you cast prayer. me. He left that out of his prayer. Yeah. Which, let's talk about that because um, his prayer is imperfect. It's, and yes. no, here's here's the thing. Let's. I want listen. I've read the commentaries. I, I and some some of the some of the scholars. You know, they're like, well, you know, Jonah's he's he's not really repented, and he's imperfect prayer, and he, he's listen. He's human. Okay, if somebody was going to analyze my prayer, you know, hundreds of years later, and it would, of course, my prayer. There maybe some of my, some of my prayers are, yeah, give me all this this problem this problem right now. But is my whole entire heart changed because of that prayer? No. It may be that God changes me over a course of time, and seasons, and everything else. And I, I, I just what I don't want to do is because I know some of the scholars they they judge he never repents in his prayer. I know he doesn't repent. Right now, he's he. I understand that's missing. He 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 doesn't admit to the guilt. But so many of my prayers are imperfect, and so many of my prayers are self-centered. You know, and God still answers or hears those prayers. And I, so I want to be, I want to be a little bit gracious to Jonah because because guess what? Who am I to say? Because there's been times in my life where I've cried out to God, probably lacking repentance or confession of sin, on something because I'm in trouble. I need God's help, and so. I sort of want to be, I want to walk really gently with Jonah because I know that I don't want to be the armchair, armchair quarterback that says, well, he should have done this, he should have done that. And I realize so many of my prayers are imperfect. And some of my prayers are self-centered. And and 
is Jonah in per, at the end of the story? Is, has Jonah changed? I don't know. I you know I don't know if he's changed, but it's his one prayer in his life. You know, so I'm I'm kind of I'm not ready to just go and say, well, he should have done this. Well, really. Let me let me walk on the other side. Play devil's advocate, or or saints. Uh, I, I think it off. Uh, here's the thing. I want to defend scriptures right, which is a caveat of its authenticity, by saying God paints the character of scripture in the color of truth. I think this is a picture of what the believer is like. Right. I, I, I agree that, and perhaps there's a picture of, even in this case, Israel, who was supposed to be a light to the to the nations, let's say, and and, and the temp, the temptation of Israel to follow after wrong gods and not really follow God. You know, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that even by the end of the story, where Jonah is like, is he really changed? I look at you know, I look at someone like the Apostle Peter, who, yes, who who is he, you know he's he's he loves the Lord, and yet he denies the Lord three times. He is restored by the Lord. He is a is a pillar in their church, so to speak, and yet he's embarrassed to be with the Gentile believers at one point where Paul has to rebuke him. You know, I I see that there with Jonah. I would hope, you know, I obviously in chapter four he has another prayer and it's now he's upset that God was so gracious. You know, I get that, but I also get that, you know, it's it's a work in progress. I think Jonah is a work in progress, so to speak, and I think. You know, there is that part where, where you know, you, you want him to be fully changed and fully embraced, but there is a picture of Jonah where, boy, he's still a piece of work that, that is still trying to figure out the grace of God and the goodness of God, and, and God leaves him and says, you know, hey, you know, these people would have perished, you know, and many of them don't know their left hand from the right hand. So what I'm trying to do is, yes. I, again, I agree, he should have confessed, he should have repented, in his prayer, but I also want to realize that that there's that there's that deep work of progress that God is often working. There's selfishness in me that I probably had for for a number of years that God's probably still working out in me. You know, so I guess I I sort of you know I I can point out the wrongs of his prayer, but as I don't want to sound so high and mighty that I'm any better than Jonah. You know, I don't present it in a high and mighty or lofty arrogance as a man would walk with a woman into a fine jewelry store and be seated to have a velvet cloth placed before them only to have the brightness of an illustrious diamond placed thereupon i think we are to see the darkness of his character painted in the colors of truth so that we might see the diamond shine of God's mercy upon a man. Who that's my point. That's my point. Life. That's that's my that's exactly my point. Is we can focus our attention on all of his imperfections, but God is still merciful to him even at his his imperfections. That's my point. That's you just you just nailed that nice illustration on the whole diamond thing. You know, <laughs> is that what you guys do? You you and you and your wife go to. Go to the jewelry store, you know, and so for the, the one with the blue, bo- the blue, the blue box, you know, or the blue, you know, that particular one, you know, what? Just make the rounds, you know. You please pull out the velvet, 
Please pull out the and the big the hope diamond right there. <laughs> the hope diamond. Anyway, that's my my it's my point. That's a long way of of saying, I still believe that God's merciful even in His imperfection, to, or this in, even in His uh, addressing this imperfect imperfect man, imperfect prophet, um, and imperfect prayer. He's still merciful. I guess that's my whole right. my whole thing. You know, I I want to look at the verse in this manner. Which verse? Uh, which now I'm lost. Which verse, verse are we getting? <laughs> <laughs> verse three. He says, "For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Deep and seas are parallel." Yeah. He says that God is the ultimate causation of his being cast here, uh, although. Jonah was the reason for God's activity. And he says, the current engulfed me. It's almost the depiction of a burial. Well, my understanding is, in, in researching this, is that the current is also can be translated as a river. And the in the ancient Near Eastern idea of the underworld, that at that place of Sheol we were talking about, where the, the, the foundations of the earth and pillars were, there was a river and... To cross that river was to cross into the the netherworld. Correct. And that if you you sort of if you could cross it or not, it was that was sort of like your your trial by or you know by river ordeal, so to speak. You know, and so now he's at that very he's at that edge, and he is he he says your you know your current or your your river engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. What's interesting here though is, it sounds like in this description he's not quite in the fish yet. It's almost as if he he's sinking down because he he's got the billows around him. He's gonna he's gonna have the breakers about him. It's I I'm I'm imagining that you know where it says in verse 17 of chapter one that the Lord appointed the fish to swallow him, but it doesn't tell you you know did he swallow him at the surface of the water or did Jonah sink down a depth and then he got swallowed? I'm wondering if in the process of him going down that finally he gets swallowed by a fish, you know, down maybe 40 feet or however long it is. I don't imagine he gets swallowed at the, at the surface. I'm just wondering if that's... My only struggle with that is chapter 2, verse 1. We are told that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. It would seem that this is content of that well, prayer that locationally comes from the stomach. The second thing would be... If he's speaking of this depth where he has an undercurrent river, it would seem that biologically and scientifically he wouldn't have enough oxygen to be yeah, able to. I, I, you know, we don't know what the what the order is, but the point yeah. is, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. It's just, it just interesting, but the nature of the fish or the nature of reason. The fact is he's, he's way down there. Absolutely. And he's in, he is in... Um, He's in trouble. Not only is he in trouble, again, in verse 3, and the current engulfed. It's it's the picture of this undercurrent or these rivers. A different translation, I would argue for, is surrounded or wrapped, if you will. Right. So it's as though he is going through a burial He's being prepared for, yeah. And being prepared for burial, right. as it were. And so... The imagery, the language that he uses is this dirge, this funerary uh, song or, 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 or prayer that argues that he's being sealed so, for entombment. So let's, just, let's pause here for a second because, first of all, 
if you're seeing this, he's going, he's now in his coffin, let's say. He's being prepared for burial. He's yes. being, you know, he's being surrounded and wrapped um, with the, the cords and the seaweed and everything else. Who would expect someone to come up from that? Absolutely. I mean, you think about this. Yeah, he's going down and he's being prepared. Oh, he's dead. He's, he's you know, and the last thing you expect is for him to come back up, which is, I think it's interesting how Jesus even uses Jonah as just as he's three days and three nights in the belly of fish. I'm wondering if, if Jesus is wanting us to read Jonah to see what happens with Jonah, especially with this chapter where he, Jesus is wrapped, he's good and dead, he's there. Who's expecting him to rise? You know, who's expecting a life to come up out of this place of death, you know, which, which is interesting, you know, just a little parallel there. Yeah, I, I, I think that as you're reading it, the language is very dramatic. And this dramatic language is not inconsequential. One must read it and hear it for all of its desperation. I don't want to take away its desperation, John, because as I said, scripture, and, and, and forgive my repetition, paints its characters in the color of truth. And the truth of believers, sometimes our desperate circumstances are extraordinarily dire. Yeah. And if I am to see this in its in its totality thus far, right. which is limited at best, I'm absolutely shocked by a contrast. Yes. Did God answer him? Absolutely. He says, I called from, and he answered me in verse two, but the where he's answered from is extraordinary. Yeah. It seems that God's reach goes beyond death itself. Exactly. It goes beyond the darkest place where you are engulfed and surrounded and shrouded and enwrapped to the point where you would think, who can be heard from here? Right. Now, listen, Jesus is not just innocent. I, I don't want to jump ahead to that too quickly. Yeah. I want to hear Jonah for who he is. Right. But I do want to say this just as a a slither early enough, just a, a, a not a slither, right. a sliver. I, I want to say... There'll be no sliver, slithering yes, around here. <laughs> there, there, yes. That Jesus dies not only innocent, but righteous. Right. This is a guilty prophet. Right. This is an obstinate prophet. Right. This is a prophet who wouldn't pray before. And and, and if we're honest, if we're really honest, um, you could almost arrogantly look at him and say, you deserve to be here. Right. I think I want to see him in that light because God hears you even when he has to allow circumstances to put you where you deserve. Yeah. But when he hears you, he hears your cry and your voice. And he hears your desperation, realizing, Lord, I got more than what I bargained for. And if he hears you, can you hear him in mercy? Yeah. When you're enshrouded, 
when you're engulfed, when you're wrapped, when you're encircled, when it's dark, when you're on the edge of the cusp of the precipice of being destroyed by that which is appropriate for what you've done, even there somehow, the hand of God is not so short, Isaiah says, that he cannot save nor his ears so dull that he cannot hear. Wherever you are and whatever you are wrapped in, may the black velvet of the circumstances which you deserve be the backdrop of the diamond of God's mercy. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.